This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 103. And uh, not going to be a typical sermon. I'm going to read through the psalm and just interact with you. Because there's such a, such a powerful story here of what it means to praise God, to worship God, and to have our emotions directed in the way that God wants us to have them to go. The psalm is arranged in several sections. The first two verses are the introduction. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. Again, as I mentioned before, praise is not a worship word. It's not something that we say praise the Lord and that's the end of it. Praise is a command to do the things that God wants us to do, namely to talk about his great character of who he is and the great things that he does. Those two things, that's what composes praise. So when we say praise the Lord, we want to pack into a whole bunch of things with that, the goodness that he is. So it's not just a phrase to um, have an, an emotional setting, but it's a, it's a phrase, it's about emotions, but it's not about the word itself. It's a command to do something. So when you say praise in this sense, and we see it here in this psalm as in many others, we are to talk about the character of God and the good things that he does. The psalms are designed in a way to uh, engage and even shape our emotions. I'm going to read a, a section from Calvin and his introduction to the psalms and w w what he thinks. Listen to what Calvin says. <clears throat> I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. In short, there is no other book in which we are more perfectly taught the right manner of praising God or in which we are more powerfully stirred up to the performance of this religious practice. So praise is a, is a, is a rich, rich phrase. And here, David is challenging us with everything that we are, with my whole heart, that all that I am, praise the Lord. So again, we're not talking much more than just doing this in worship, in corporate worship, but in all of life, so that we are blown away with all the good things that God does. Then in verses 3 through 19 of the psalm, he gives us a guideline for exactly what that praise is, what it looks like. We see other portions, Psalm 78 is much longer um, exercised in this way. But this morning we have a beautiful conception, perception laid out for us that needs to shape our thoughts and emotions as we go through God in daily life. So in verses 3 through 6, we see four things that impact us that we have to look at from God's perspective. Let me read 3 through 6. He forgives all my sins heals all my diseases, 
He redeems me from death, crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. Now, if you take each one of these, you may look at your life, you may look at people around you, you may look at situations around you and say, I don't see that happening. I don't see being redeemed my life. I don't see good things happening all the time. I don't see much justice. When are these people going to be treated who are so unfair to God and who are so wrong? What is all this going to be about? This is where we need to realize this is meant to shape our experience and our thoughts about what is happening. Not our experience, not what we see through our eyes, not what we hear with our ears, not through what we listen to or read in the, in the media, on the internet, or the print media, whatever it is. Those are not the things, even our life experience, those are not the things that are to shape our understanding of the truth of these passages. He does forgive all my sins. He does heal all my diseases. But how do we square that with someone who dies, a righteous person, a good person who dies, or whom the sickness just lingers? Well, I'm reminded of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, where he says, we don't fix our eyes on what we see. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary just having to do with this life right now. But what is unseen is temporal, I mean, is eternal. And it goes on, and it's connected to here, but it's connected to the life that's to come. It also connects us to the fact that God has a way of working things out that we don't always see in the moment. He does bring healing, even in death. He does crown us with good things even when things are difficult. He does renew our youth. You know, I think about that a lot. Um, I'm not exactly gonna be running around trying to fly around like an eagle. Um, might be an interesting spectacle, but, um, but God renews our hearts. God calls us to be able to trust him in these ways. So these four things, we've gotta run them through the grid. This is, this is God's covenant, faithfulness to us. He will bring these things to pass. It's not a matter of if, but how he does it. And that's what David is rejoicing in. Then in verses 7 through 12, which includes the call to worship this morning, in verses 7 through 12, we have basically a short summary of the covenant of the law for Israel. He begins this way in verse 7. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. And again, you read the New Testament, you read other places, when Moses is referenced, it's a reference for all of the law and the things that were done, the Torah. So he revealed his character to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel, which is what he did. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love, that's not often the picture that people have of the Old Testament. But this is the picture that the Holy Spirit wants us to draw. This is why these Psalms are so important. This is why they have to shape our thoughts and emotions about the things of God. 
The Lord is compassionate and merciful. As you've been listening to this series in uh, Kings that Jay is going through, what is it that the people have done to make, make themselves attractive to the people of God, make themselves attractive to God? We don't see very much of that. We see them time and time siding with Baal, siding with the wrong side of things. Yet God is continually merciful. He sends them the prophets. He sends them his grace and even sending the rain after th withholding it for three years. He is compassionate. He is not constantly, he does not constantly accuse nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. God doesn't treat us as we deserve. Do you really want at the end of the day, Lord, please treat me on the basis of my great behavior today? Anybody that wants to say that, if, they, if you hear them saying it, leave the building, because <laughs> it's not a safe place to be. God treats us on the basis of the mercy of his son. And we see that in this psalm on the basis of his covenant mercies. And then verses 11 and 12 are called to worship. Summarize this David's quick summary of the law and the covenant. He says this, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. This phrase fear, it trips us up sometimes, but in, in the wisdom literature, fear has a component of fear and awe, of love and trust. That's what fearing the Lord is about. In Psalm 130, we read, with you, O God, there is forgiveness with sins. If you kept a record of sins, who could stand? And then, therefore, you are feared. He's not feared because he's gonna get them, punish them for their sins. He's feared because he's going to remove their sins from them. And he's gonna remove them, as Jay said, so far away as the east is from the west. You can run all day long and never get to the east if you start from that direction or the west if you start the other direction. That's what we're being told here. This is the summary of what the Old Testament is about, of what the law is about. All these laws, which can appear to be very burdensome and heavy to, it, to us, they are to protect the people, to keep them separate, to keep them trusting God, and instead of all the uh, horrible mess that they came into when they entered the land of Canaan. And then this next section is about family, verses 13 through 18. And the covenant family is a huge portion of the Old Testament. And so, verse 13, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Fathers, this is what God is calling us to be about. Being overwhelmed. They have a tender, compassionate love for our children, for our families. Because the Lord is saying that's what he does. If that's what he does, if he, if he likens that to a father, that's where we need to be. In verse 14 and 15, he knows we are, how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. When we deal with our children, our job description is not to treat them as their sins deserve any more than God treats you and me as our sins deserve. 
doesn't mean we ignore discipline. Of course we do discipline. But we do it in the context that this is not about as their sins deserve to be treated. It's about what it means to draw them closer to God. This needs to temper our discipline. God knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. We need to have compassion for our children. What happens when people close to us sin against us? What happens? Someone that you've given your life to, that you've cared for, and then this little tyrant lies to you. What do we want to do with that? We somehow want to lash out. We somehow want to uh, say that's not right. Hold them accountable through their sins. Rather than pointing out the love of God, the compassion of God, challenging the lie, challenging the wrong behavior with the mercy and love of God to call them back to truth, to realize that all too often, you and I engage in lies ourselves. Maybe more sophisticated, maybe not as blatant as a little child who says, uh, I didn't take the cookies, as he's got chocolate chips all over his face and hands and floors and every place else. Maybe not quite that obvious, but God sees the things that we do. He's compassionate with us. So we want to call our children to faith, repentance, obedience on the basis of the love of God with the understanding that our discipline can never, ever equal payment for sin. That's Christ and Christ alone. We've got to remember the pressures that our families face all around them. They're just getting started and yet anger can boil over and we kind of treat them as if you know, they're seasoned veterans and they should know better. In some senses they should, but in other senses, where's our compassion for them? Then we have to teach our children and ourselves about the frailty of life. Verse 15, our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. Maybe you've seen a field of uh, wildflowers and you come back the next day and they're gone. Or maybe some new flowers have come up. This is what our life is like. This is not about building a legacy that's going to be remembered. That's what the Psalm says. The wind blows and we are gone as though we'd never been here. We must not have a great sense of importance about ourselves, but rather a great sense of importance about God and about praising Him for all He does. But then in contrast, verse 17, our lives, things end quickly. But 17, but the love of God remains forever with those who fear Him, with that combination of fear, love, and trust that leads to honor. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to His covenant of those who obey his commands. This is, all, this is not about you raising your child. This is about you raising your child to raise their children, to raise their children to walk in the ways of God. We need this long-term generational covenant vision 
that David is laying out for us here. This is a promise. We even hear, we hear, even hear Peter referring to it in Acts. The promise is for you and for your children. It comes from these kinds of thoughts in verse 18 of Psalm 103. Verse 19, the Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Have any of you got a chance to see the uh, pictures from the James Webb telescope? You've seen, you seen Hubble pictures? Well, the pictures from the Webb telescope are just mind-blowing. It's uh, one of the good things that our tax dollars do. Go to the page for uh, the Webb telescope and look at those images of the universe around us. And you see these clusters of things and what they are, the clusters of galaxies. And each galaxy contains, there are millions and billions of galaxies, and each galaxy contains millions and billions of stars. The Lord has made the heavens his throne, and from there he rules over everything. God encompasses this, just mind-blowing to me. Have you ever got a chance, have you been out maybe sometimes in the wilderness sometimes, and you get a chance to see the Milky Way? Anybody seen the Milky Way? It's phenomenal. I had an opportunity um, a long time ago, but it was in Hawaii at night, down in the southern point of the, of the big island. And we looked up, and there was this Milky Way. Almost no light pollution there. This is, what, this is where God rules. All this, he named all those stars. This is where he rules from. And then the psalm ends with an encouragement again to praise. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all of his kingdom. When was the last time that you saw the armies of angels uh, parading down your street. I hope you said no, because we don't see those things. But does that mean that they are not there? They are there. Jay's going to give us some uh, insight of that as he gets into Second Kings. All these things, remember back in Second Corinthians 4, all these things are going on that we do not see. God is at work. His armies of angels are at work. We take this by faith because the Word of God says so. And we need to praise him for the fact that his armies, the angels are doing his bidding, his command even now. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And here David is thrilled with it as well. And again, praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all of his kingdom. Reminds us of Psalm 98 and Joy to the World that we sing. Everything is to be about giving praise to God. And then he ends the psalm the same way he begins. In the Hebrew, this is a technique called bookends. And he's putting these things together. Psalm 104 is just the same. It begins and ends with this one phrase, that all that I am, praise the Lord. If we want to have an impact on our community, on our family, on our children, on our church, Let's be about the praise of the Lord. Let's be about 
being in awe of all the great things he does. Let's not judge him through eyes that see only in front of us. Let's judge him through eyes that have eternal vision, that see beyond what is, we think is real into the unseen world, which is more real than this world. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May he do that for us. May he encourage us in that way. We may be, peop may we be people who are constantly blown away by the great character of God, how he has done these things in our lives and in my life, and all the awesome things that he does. You and I can approach the throne of grace at any time, <clears throat> whether we have had a good day or a bad day, whether we have been faithful or unfaithful. Because of Christ, we can come to the throne of grace. What a beautiful thing to hang on to. Truly, let all that I am praise the Lord for his goodness and greatness to us. Psalm 103, it's a beautiful passage to work through and meditate on. It's been a blessing to share it with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that has been in this psalm. We thank you that in this, just these few words, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, David has been able to lay out for us what the importance of life is. May we look at praise as a way of being constantly consumed with the wonder of who you are and the great things that you do. Even the things that we don't understand, even the things that we don't see, you are faithfully doing those things. Father, we thank you for calling us together this morning, for making your word available to us. Father, I ask that you would continue to be with uh, Jay and Marianne and their family. Put your hand of comfort on them. And Lord, help us to know that even in, even in times that are hard and dark, you are this faithful God. There is always reason to pour our hearts out in praise to you. We come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.